Hello and welcome to Disastrous History. My name is Anthony and I am the host of this wonderful mess of a show that will attempt to chronicle some of the biggest and most interesting disasters, messes, and all-around screw-ups that have happened throughout the centuries. This week's episode is of a different kind of disaster. This week's episode is on the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria. The assassination of the Archduke essentially started what became known as both World War I and the War to End All Wars, which turned out to be a lie, but hey, they tried. So, why was this man so important? Why would anyone want to assassinate him? And why would it start a global conflict that ended at least three empires and dragged the United States across the ocean into it? Let's find out. As a quick aside, there are some names in this episode that I may struggle to pronounce. I've done my best to figure out how to pronounce them ahead of time, but if I butcher them, I apologize ahead of time. Anyway, Franz Ferdinand was born in Graz, Austria on the 18th of December, 1863. His father was Archduke Karl Ludwig of Austria. Karl Ludwig was the younger brother of the current emperor, Franz Joseph I. His mother was Princess Maria Annunziata Isabella Fiomina Sabazia of Bourbon II Sicilies. As a quick side note, the Kingdom of Two Sicilies was formed when the Kingdom of Sicily and the Kingdom of Naples merged. It was called the Kingdom of Two Sicilies because the Kingdom of Naples was also sometimes called Sicily, and so they decided to call the new kingdom Two Sicilies, because the human race has never been good at naming things. But anyway. At the time of his birth, Franz Ferdinand was at least three spots out from being the heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne. So... To explain that better, on the throne was his uncle, Franz Joseph I. The first in line, his cousin, was Crown Prince Rudolf, Franz Joseph I's son. Second in line was Franz Ferdinand's dad, Archduke Karl Ludwig. That makes him third in line. At the time of Franz Ferdinand's death, however, he was first in line. How did he end up first in line? Let's figure that out real quick. Rudolf committed suicide in 1889 at his hunting cabin with his 17-year-old lover, Marie Fran von Vatsera. This moved Franz Ferdinand up to second in line for the throne. Then, in 1896, his father, Karl Ludwig, died of typhoid fever he contracted, possibly from drinking contaminated water in Jordan on a trip to Egypt, thus moving Franz Ferdinand up to first in line for the throne of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. This was not ideal for the Emperor Franz Joseph I. Number one, his son had committed suicide. That's never good. He also lost his brother. But also, the Emperor did not like Franz Ferdinand at all. Franz Ferdinand seemed to have a bit of a temper and was a bit unpredictable. Um, it was very common to find Franz Ferdinand and Franz Joseph I arguing and screaming at each other. So Franz was not well-liked in the Austrian imperial family. The other issue that Franz Ferdinand fell into was he fell in love with lady-in-waiting Sophie Chotek. To have succession rights in the Habsburg dynasty, you had to be one of the ruling dynasties in Europe. Sophie was not. Therefore, in order for Franz Ferdinand to be allowed to marry Sophie, he had to forfeit all succession rights for his children. He did so because he appears to truly have been in love with Sophie. The Archduke appears to have been a very avid hunter. 
he had over 200,000, yes, 200,000 trophies from his various hunts across the world in his house. Um, he went on a hunting trip with the Duke of Portland and Nottinghamshire in England in the fall of 1913. During that trip, one of the people loading the guns for the Archduke and the Duke tripped and caused both barrels of the gun to fire. In the Duke of Portland's memoir, he stated, One of the loaders fell down. This caused both barrels of the gun he was carrying to be discharged, the shot passing within a few feet of the Archduke and myself. I have often wondered whether the Great War might not have been averted, or at least postponed, had the Archduke met his death there, and not in Sarajevo the following year. The war to end all wars was almost avoided before it could even begin, by a stray shot in a hunting accident. To give you an idea of what the world looked like in 1914, at the time of Franz Ferdinand's assassination, the Austro-Hungarian Empire was one of six great powers in Europe. Austria-Hungary was allied to Germany. Britain, France, and Russia were all allied together. There were a smattering of other lesser powers throughout Europe, but these are the big ones. One of those lesser powers was Serbia. Serbia had just recently doubled the size of its territory and felt like they were on the fast track to restoring the Serbian kingdom of the Middle Ages. They had just defeated Turkey and Bulgaria in wars and were riding high. But of course, that big old powerhouse, Austria-Hungary, had annexed the state of Bosnia-Herzegovina in 1908. Why did this infuriate the Serbians so badly? Well, Bosnia-Herzegovina was the home of around 2 million ethnically Serbian people. It also denied Serbia access to the Adriatic Sea, which is important both militarily and economically. This kept Serbia landlocked and kept away from important trade routes. And then, there were issues with the ethnic Serbians being essentially pushed out and persecuted against. All of this, along with some other issues, made Serbia and Serbians in Bosnia-Herzegovina very angry. All this anger culminated in an attempted assassination of the Emperor of Austria-Hungary in Sarajevo on June 15, 1910. The attempt was made by a man named Bogdan Zarejic. At the last minute, he apparently had a change of heart about assassinating the emperor because he instead aimed at the governor of Bosnia-Herzegovina, General Marian Varasanen, and fired five shots from close range. Fortunately for the governor, he missed with all five shots. His final words were, I leave it to Serbdom to avenge me. Then he shot himself dead with the last bullet. This act woke up the younger generation of angry Serbians. Zarejic became a martyr to young, mad Serbians everywhere in Bosnia-Herzegovina and in Serbia itself. An organization called Narodna Adbrana, or National Defense, was created. They were highly visible, participated in public activities, and were active in the politics and the military. All in defense of the idea that an in independent Serbian state all the way to the Adriatic was necessary. They performed spy activities under the auspices of cultural or sporting organizations. But the national defense had a dark part. Out of the national defense organization, another secret group was created. This group was called Union or Death, later known simply as Black Hand. Their symbol was a skull, dagger, bomb, and poison, because they were not exactly subtle about their goals. There's no way to get around it. This was a terrorist cell. In order to join, you had to forfeit your personality and essentially all personal profits. 
once you joined, you were in. It was basically Hotel California. The only way to leave was death. If you caused the group harm, you were killed. Leaving the group would mean you were causing the group harm, so you were killed. If you withheld information that you had learned and it was discovered, you were killed. You were essentially no longer a person. You were an instrument of the group to glean information and cause terror. They even had their own initiation ceremony. You were walked into a black room lit only by a single candle. There was only one table in the room covered in a black cloth. On that cloth lay a cross, a dagger, and a revolver. A single member of the group would walk in with a mask on and make the recruits recite the following oath. I, on becoming a member of the organization, Union or Death, swear, by the sun that warms me, by the earth that nourishes me, before God, by the blood of my ancestors, on my honor, and on my life, that I will, from this moment till my death, be faithful to the laws of this organization, that I will always be ready to make any sacrifice for it. I swear before God, on my honor and on my life, that I will take all the secrets of this organization with me to the grave. May God confound me, and may my comrades in this organization judge me if I trespass against or either consciously or unconsciously fail to keep my oath. So yeah, they weren't screwing around. They were serious about their cause, and they were willing to kill or be killed for it. The Black Hand ended up being the funding and support behind the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. The order for the assassination came from the leader of the Black Hand, Dragutin Dmitrievich, otherwise known as Apis. The original plot had been to assassinate the governor of Bosnia, General Oskar Potiorek. However, the men who had been tapped to perform the assassination got nervous and threw their guns and cyanide capsules out a train window for fear of being captured. Then the Black Hand learned that Franz Ferdinand was to travel to Sarajevo in June of 1914 to view some military exercises and meet the people and show support for the area and for the area to show their support for the empire. They would show their support all right. After the failure of the original plan of just assassinating some governor, the Black Hand and Apis decided that they should better try for a bigger target. And so they picked Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne. Because why be a secret society hell-bent on murder, arson, and terror if you can't be dramatic? And so they set about planning the assassination. The Black Hand chose three people in Serbia to perform the assassination. They were Gavrilo Princep, Eliko Kabernovic, and Drifun Grabez. They were given some money, a map, a card for access to a secret tunnel across the border, six bombs, cyanide capsules, and four Browning FN Model 1910 pistols. On May 28, 1914, they got on a boat and traveled to the Serbian border. There, they were given forged identities of customs officials and received trade tickets to a nearby border town. They walked to an island right along the border and handed their weapons to a national defense agent to be passed from safe house to safe house in order to prevent discovery. Then the three conspirators were crossed into Austro-Hungary. They met with the mastermind behind the actions inside Bosnia-Herzegovina, Danilo Ilicic. The weapons were moved around the country to avoid detection. They were hidden at one point inside a large box of sugar, and in the weeks leading up to the attempt, the weapons were hidden in a suitcase under a couch at Alicia's 
mother's house. Which, why would you hide assassin's weapons under your poor mother's couch? I will never understand. Especially when they're included bombs. That seems extremely rude. On the evening of June 27th, the day before the assassination, Elitch introduced all six assassins to each other. He had kept the locally recruited assassins separate from those from Serbia. The six assassins were Princep, Gabrnovich, Grabez, Muhammad Mehmed Basic, Yevetko Popovich, and Vaso Kubrilovich. I'm sorry. On the morning of the attempt, Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie were placed in a car with the local governor, General Potiorek, and Lieutenant Colonel Count Franz von Harach in the third car in line with three more cars behind them. The first stop was for an inspection of a military barracks in Sarajevo. By 10 a.m., the motorcade was supposed to leave the barracks for town hall along the Apple Quay. It was supposed to be arranged ahead of time that military troops would line the street for security. This was decided against at the last minute because it would offend the citizens of Sarajevo. Seems like a poor choice, but what do I know? Because of this baffling decision, security was left to the Sarajevo Police Department. Only about 60 to 100 officers were on duty at the time. Not nearly enough for a crowd coming to see the heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne in an open car. So... It's 10 a.m. Franz Ferdinand and his wife are in a 1910 Grafenstift sports car with the top down. They are traveling along the Apple Quay past the first assassin, Mehmed Basic. He was armed with a single bomb in front of the Mostar Cafe on the south side of the road. Franz Ferdinand and his wife passed by, and he did... Well, he did nothing. One assassin down, five to go. Next up is Kabrinovich. He was armed with a bomb, and he actually threw it, and it hit its target. Success! Except, well, not really. It bounced off the convertible cover and landed in the street. The timer on that bomb blew up underneath the car behind Franz Ferdinand's car. The only injury suffered by the couple was a small scratch on Sophie's cheek from being grazed by either the bomb's detonator or some other shrapnel. And if she was grazed by the bomb's detonator... Kabernovich should have been a quarterback because that's a really impressive throw. Thinking he had achieved his goal, Kabernovich swallowed his cyanide capsule and jumped over the embankment into the river. Except, the cyanide capsule was old, and throw it, so it started to make him throw up, and the river was more riverbank than river because it was summertime, so he was quickly captured and beaten by a mob of people. A local barber was so mad he had to be talked down by a police officer from shooting Kabernovich on the spot. Interestingly enough, when Kabernovich had knocked the cap off the bomb, Count Harach had heard it and thought the tire had blown out. He actually said to the driver, Bravo, now we'll have to stop. Luckily for them, the driver did the exact opposite of that because he had seen the bomb flying through the air and stomped the accelerator. Two assassins down. Four to go. Next up, we have Princep. He witnessed Kabernovich be arrested and stated that he briefly considered shooting Kabernovich and then himself to end it all, but decided against that plan. So he did nothing. Three assassins down, three to go. Next was Kubrilovich. He fled after the bomb was thrown without having a fired a shot. 
he hid his gun behind some boxes. Four assassins down, two to go. Next was Popovich. He left his bomb behind a box in the basement of the building. In court, he admitted he lost his courage and fled. Five assassins down, one to go. The final assassin was Grabez. Grabez failed to act. He told a friend before being arrested that he was too crowded by people to pull out his bomb. He told police he was too scared to act. Six assassins down, zero left. For now. Eventually, they made it to Town Hall. Upon arriving at Town Hall, Franz Ferdinand angrily shouted, So this is how you welcome your guests? With bombs? He was supposed to give a speech, but he didn't want to. He was finally talked into it by some of his compatriots. The original plan was to go to a new museum for the opening. However, after what had happened and the car behind him had blown up, Franz Ferdinand insisted he go visit the wounded at the hospital. Prior to leaving the town hall, Franz Ferdinand was told that Kabrinovich had been arrested. He is reputed to have replied, hang him as soon as you can, or else Vienna will send him a decoration, hinting at the distaste many in Vienna had for the Archduke because of his temper and personality, which he was currently showing off. So, after the events of the morning, and the, unbeknownst to them, six assassination attempts that they had just thwarted, they decided that instead of going to the museum, they were going to go to the hospital first, and they were going to go straight down the Apple Quay, rather than turning onto a side street, Franz Joseph I Street, ironically, like the original plan had said. The problem was, the man who was supposed to relay this to the drivers was injured in the previous attack and was obviously in the hospital. So obviously the drivers were not told of this change in plans because telling drivers of a change in plan is apparently beneath royalty. So off they went again with a very displeased Archduke. This time, Count Harach had decided to stand on the footboard to try and shield the Archduke from any more would-be assassins. Unfortunately, the lack of communication meant that the driver of the first corps turned right along the original route, which happened to be right where Gavrilo Princep was now standing with a bomb and a gun. You see, Princip had crossed the street into the shade in an attempt to get away from the crowd. It was a hot day in June, so I can't really blame him for trying to get into the shade and away from all those people. He walked a little way down Franz Joseph Street and stopped in front of a food shop owned by a man named Moritz Schiller. While Princip was standing there, he was approached by a friend, Mihailo Pusara. Pusara asked a couple questions, and before Princip could answer, the Archduke's motorcade turned down the street. The lead car had turned down the wrong route, and Archduke Franz Ferdinand's car had followed him. General Potiorek, ostensibly in charge of the security for the day, immediately pleaded for, with the driver to go back. So he stepped on the brakes and began to back up. This lined Princip up for a nice, easy shot. He took a few steps forward and fired into the car. He hit Archduke Franz Ferdinand in the neck and Sophie in the abdomen. Now it is rumored that Princip was eating a sandwich when the motorcade turned down Franz Joseph Street. But this is probably untrue, even though it would be pretty hilarious. It is not mentioned anywhere in the court record by Princip or witnesses. It is quite possible that he was planning on getting lunch there. 
It was about 10.45 in the morning, and I don't know for sure, but I would assume attempting to assassinate the heir to one of the largest and most powerful empires in the world at the time would make you work up an appetite. Princip then attempted to commit suicide, but a man behind him, Ante Velich, grabbed his arm. A struggle ensued between a mob, Princip, and police officers. Princip apparently attempted to fight off the police officers so the mob could lynch him, but was unsuccessful. At some point, he had in fact managed to swallow the cyanide pill, but all it did was make him vomit, because it was old. Meanwhile, in the car, the other individuals believed that it had been another failed attempt. Count Harach had blood on his cheek from trying to stop the Archduke's bleeding, and upon seeing it, Sophie asked what happened to him before slumping down. Count Harach and General Potioric believed she had just fainted. At this point, the Archduke called out, Sophie dear, Sophie dear, don't die, stay alive for our children, before he too slumped down. Count Harach then asked if the Archduke was alright, and he repeated, It is nothing, it is nothing, it is nothing, over and over again until it faded away. The two made it to the governor's mansion, but both died within an hour of arriving. An outpouring of grief came in from around the world for the family. Many thought, albeit secretly, that it was a good thing. Many believed Franz Ferdinand would become an enemy because of his political stances. In one of the most freezing cold takes of all time, the Italian foreign minister at the time stated, World peace will not be any worse off. How quickly he would be proven wrong about that. And a certain, soon-to-be infamous Italian editor wrote, Hail to the gun of Princip and to the bomb of Kabernovich. That editor was none other than the man who made the trains run on time, Benito Mussolini. After the assassination, the emperor was notified, and it spread like wildfire through Serbia. To the Serbians' credit, they did their best to tamp down celebrations, because many in Serbia hated them, and closed all shops and theaters by 10 p.m. and banned parties and dance halls. At first, Princip and Kabrinovich were the only two that had been arrested. Their story was they worked together and had received the weapons from partisans. Both motives appeared to be nationalism, it all made sense for the police in Sarajevo. Meanwhile, Sarajevo police rounded up large amounts of suspected dissidents. One of those was Danilo Illich. He was under no major suspicion, but they had known that Princip had stayed with him in the days prior to the assassination. But Illich was scared and immediately offered a deal to confess everything if he was saved from the death penalty. How badly that would go for him. What Illich said blew up the previous story. Illich gave up Grabez's location to the police, who was arrested immediately. Police quickly followed up by arresting Kubrilovich and Popovich. That only left Mehmed Basic, and it's very likely he could have escaped. He had made it across the border with Montenegro, and Montenegro was officially neutral. But Mehmed Basic could not keep his stupid mouth shut. He was boasting loudly in public that he was one of the assassins that everyone was talking about and was quickly arrested by authorities. Then, the king of Montenegro realized, Oh, crap, most of my citizenry supports this guy and views him as a hero. But I also have an extradition agreement with Austria. What do I do here? Well, it turns out, you can just let him escape and pretend to have no idea where he's going. 
As long as he keeps his stupid trap shut for once, it'll be okay. And to Mimin Basich's credit, he did stay shut up. Then Illich began to implicate people that were actually in Serbia. A Serbian railway worker that had helped them, and a major in the Serbian army that had helped to supply them with weapons. It was enough evidence that Austria-Hungary felt that they could force an ultimatum upon Serbia. Austria-Hungary's demands included arresting all involved in the assassination, stopping all anti-Austrian propaganda in Bosnia-Herzegovina, and stopping the flow of weapons across the border. The one issue with the Austrian demands was they made no actual mention of the Black Hand, and in the eyes of the world, the Austrian evidence was not enough to fully implicate the Serbian government in the actual assassination. The demands also required the arrest of some members who were actually part of the Black Hand, and turning them over to Austria would have spelled disaster for Serbia. And so, on July 25, 1914 at 5.58 p.m., Two minutes before the expiration of the ultimatum, Serbia replied to agree with certain terms, but not all of them. Obviously, Austria-Hungary did not agree with this. Three days later, one month after the assassination, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. Russia, Serbia's ally and promised to protect Serbia, then declared war on Austria-Hungary. Germany, Austria-Hungary's ally, then declared war on Russia. Then, Germany declared war on France out of fear they would be called upon by Russia. Then, Germany invaded neutral Belgium in an attempt to outflank France. And so, Great Britain then declared war on Germany. And then you have World War I. All because some guy took a wrong turn in front of a restaurant. At the trial, all the would-be assassins admitted to guilt all except Gavrilo Princip. Princip stated, I am not a criminal, for I have removed an evildoer. I mean to do a good deed. He also stated that he had killed the Archduchess accidentally and meant to aim at the governor. Therefore, he believed he was not guilty. The only real issue with the trial was Gavrilo Princip's age. In Austria-Hungary, the death penalty was not allowed for those under the age of 20. There was a debate on when Princip's birthday was. His mother was brought in and stated his birthday was July 26, 1894, which would make him 19 at the time of the assassination. They asked her if she could remember the birthdays of any of her other eight children, and she could not. It was finally determined that Princip was in fact 19 at the time after a priest was brought in from his hometown to confirm the date. The assassins were put on trial for treason and murder. All were found guilty. Because each assassin was under the age of 20 at the time of the murder, they were able to escape the death penalty. Princip, Kabernovich, and Grabez all received 20 years in prison. All three died of tuberculosis in prison. Kubrilovich and Popovich received 16 years and 13 years, respectively. All except Popovich were required one-day fasting each month and every June 28th, they were forced to spend 24 hours in solitary confinement in the dark. Illich was over the age of 20 at the time of the assassination, and was executed by hanging on the 3rd of February, 1915. Two other co-conspirators were executed by hanging on the same day. Apis, the mastermind behind the entire plot who had actually ordered the assassination, and the leader of the Black Hand, was finally arrested and found guilty in 1917, 
He was executed by firing squad on June 26, 1917, almost three years to the day after the assassination he personally ordered. Mehmed Bosic, who we can all agree was released by Montenegro back in 1914, was finally arrested in 1917. He received a 15-year prison sentence, but was released in 1919. He ended up being killed during World War II. It's hard to imagine how a single wrong turn down a street could lead to two world wars and millions upon millions of deaths. But that's exactly what happened. A single wrong turn allowed Gavrilo Princip to take the shots that would lead to the dissolution of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and the German Empire. It would also lead to the downfall of the Tsars in Russia and the introduction of the United States to the world stage. And with that, we come to an end of this week's episode. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Tune in next week for the next episode. I know last week I promised you guys that this week would be the Erfurt latrine disaster, but unfortunately that needed to have more research done, so that'll be a later date. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at DisastrousHSTRY, not history with the vowels because Twitter only allows a certain number of characters. And you can follow us on Instagram at Disastrous History, spelled correctly. Stay safe, and always check your smoke detector batteries.